Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. My guest today is a writer, a preacher, and an advocate for women in the global Christian church. She has a master's degree in Christian doctrine and history from Regent University, and she's currently working on her new book, Breaking the Glass Steeple, A Woman Minister's Journey Flipping Tables and Finding Liberation. We're going to be talking all about her journey in becoming a prominent voice in progressive Christianity and, of course, her upcoming book. Jory Micah, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Melinda. Of course, of course. You know, one of the reasons I started following you is because our beliefs are, are very much aligned. And in terms of the things that we talk about on, on Twitter, I've made a lot of great connections on Twitter. And I, I really love how vocal you are and how you not only balance, you know, showing love and grace, which is what people that proclaim to be Christians should be doing, but you also are, are very adamant about calling out hypocrisy within Christianity. And I appreciate that. And for myself, I was lucky enough to be raised in a very liberal household growing up. And so I was always exposed to that loving and accepting environment. But for you, in terms of your upbringing, what was it like more specifically in terms of religion and faith? Sure. Um, Well, I was fortunate enough to have parents that pushed back on things. So um, they were always um, what we call egalitarian and (laughs) we can get into that later, but they always were very much um, for women in ministry. But with saying that, um, they were also very conservative. Um, You know, I grew up in purity culture and my dad never really got on board with that whole thing. Like he was always skeptical of it. But my mom, I think because she came from like the hippie movement and the sexual revolution and, you know, had kind of a wild background with full of, a lot of um, abuse as well. Um, and so for her, recognizing purity culture was like, oh, so like I can teach my daughters a different way to be um, that was kind of the opposite of the way she was before she became a Christian. And so I I think instead of dealing with that and the, the trauma from that, she kind of pushed it off on our, the, the, the girls. So that was the area that she was the most strict in. And then, you know, the sexual purity revolution mm-hmm. of that time um, was in everything. You know, it was right. in our youth groups. It was in right. our books. It right. was in our radio talk shows. You know, yeah. so it was everywhere. So thankfully, um, my parents, you know, they would let us trick or treat, for example, you know, and a lot of Christians would give them crap for that. Right. They were more liberal, and I'm doing quotations because <laughs> in that circle, they were more liberal, but they were still very, very conservative. And so, honestly, growing up in it was was okay. I tried to conform to it, mm-hmm. um, and I became a striver because I wanted to be a minister. I thought that the way that I was supposed to be a good Christian girl was to basically not have sex before marriage, Mm -hmm. not swear and not drink alcohol. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's just like really like simple when you're a teenager and it's legalistic rules, a lot of them. But, um, so it wasn't too bad until my twenties to when all that kind of the shame of purity culture started like, um, coming to the surface and really in my 30s now is when I've actually had the courage to confront my parents on it 
And my dad's kind of like hands up, like, I never believe that stuff. <laughs> you know, and my mom's kind of like been very receptive of, mm-hmm. um, you know, of listening. And I've even sent her like podcasts of Joshua Harris, who wrote, I kissed dating goodbye and how he's repented from mm-hmm. it. Like truly turned from the whole thing and wants to spend the rest of his life helping people heal from something he was part of. And so she listened to that. And I think that has helped her to understand, but we're kind of at a weird place with, with, within Christianity because we're just deconstructing purity yeah. culture. Yeah. But people are like, well, what do we do now though? Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah. that's kind of what my upbringing was more liberal, but in a very conservative Pentecostal. Yeah. Assembly of God type. For sure. So, For you, was there kind of an aha moment or a situation or anything where you thought you kind of took a step back and you're like, huh, I feel like people are really doing this whole Christian thing wrong. Yeah, honestly, it's, it's, I guess what we call deconstruction of what you're, what you're saying. Um, Deconstruction began for me in 2014 after I had been a children's pastor Mm. for two years under an extreme patriarchal complementarian um, non-denominational pastor who had very little accountability. Um, You know, I saw the way he raised his girls, which to me was kind of horrifying, Mm. you know, because it Mm. was like their whole identity was shaped around, again, purity culture and legalism and patriarchy. Um, But I I had written a master's thesis on complementarianism, which is your evangelical patriarchy, basically. So I had written on that, but I I didn't understand it because, again, I grew up in the more egalitarian side of conservative Christianity, Um, even though there's still tons of patriarchy on that side. Right. me working in an atmosphere for the first time where I really saw complementarian and what I felt was um, very dysfunctional uh, play out right in front of my eyes. And that was in my twenties and my mid twenties. And I ended, but, it, but I had no, um, this is how I know deconstruction is from God in the spirit because I had no, um, understanding. I never heard of deconstruction, never knew people were doing that. Like I had no clue of like, you know, the Rachel Held Evans of the world at that time. Um, I didn't know anyone was doing any of this stuff. And so, um, I ended up having a really intense dream and I'm a dreamer. I have a lot of spiritual dreams throughout my life, but this is the most spiritual dream I've ever had in my life. And I woke up from that dream, not fully understanding, but knowing it was time to leave my position in as a children's mm. pastor. And it was not easy because I got paid decent for that kind of job. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't, ex- there wasn't that much expected of me because I was a children's pastor. Yeah. Was like, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right. You know, it's very hands off and it was decent money for low expectations. But the patriarchy was so strong. The oppression was so strong where you just, you know, that feeling when like someone's really nice to you, but you still feel their spirit Mm, and it's oppressive. Yeah. And even if you're, you know, far away from them, like 
yourself a little bit intimidated the for by sure. that. For sure. So that's how it was under this leadership. It was just oppressive. Even though he was never mean to me or anything like that, it was just very controlling and oppressive. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was like an aha moment um, that I started deconstruction. But it took me till the last couple of years, really, to really even realize, oh, my gosh, like that dream was straight up from my intuition. Yeah. Spirit, whatever, you know? which is that's how I mean that's how God works, you know. He he comes right. to you or he she, however you you right. see God, but you know you get yeah. that message in in the most unconventional way. I feel like, and a lot of people, I've had those experiences for sure, especially in dreams. I'm wake, I've woken up and been like, wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, like the divine nature within you is trying to tell you something that you would never ever be able to know or understand. Like you, your mind wouldn't come up with that. Right. You know, like, cause you were yeah. never taught. Like I was never, ever taught, you know, that you're going to come to a stage in your life where you're going to have to deconstruct a lot of these beliefs and, you know, reform your faith yeah. and all that, you know? So I know that this, this message was from, was a divine message. Absolutely. It's taken till now, which is, you know, seven years later to see and understand how prophetic it was in my life. That's beautiful. But I want to follow up with you because why do you think that is? Because I've had these conversations with so many people that critical thinking, for example, or asking questions is just almost not allowed in the church when you're growing up. And so when you have these moments where you are questioning and you are deconstructing, it kind of takes you by surprise a little bit because for your whole, you know, faith journey when you're younger, you never knew anything about it. And it's almost scary. And then you go through these feelings of like, well, am I doubting God? Am I, am I questioning my faith? But I think it's actually um, kind of reaffirming your faith in a sense, because yeah. he's taking you through these tests. But why do you think that is not taught or explained in churches that you will, everybody will inevitably go through this moment in their faith journey? Right. Um, you know, I think it's just straight up control, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't think that people, the church, the church is a power structure and, um, you know, some churches are better than others and that power structure with, with how they use it, mm-hmm. that power. But a lot of times, you know, we've almost reached like a pinnacle, I think, where people have seen like, man, this isn't just like one or two churches. This is like the American church. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's become all about power and money and prosperity gospel. And um, just when, when any sort of religion or business or anything is centered on people having to, you know, at the end of the day, the, the pastor has to make a salary and he's dependent on that salary in order to feed his family. Mm-hmm. So therefore he has to not only think about what his leaders and board, board members say, which usually are your older people that are still kind of stuck in their ways. Yeah. Um, but, but the church in itself has been programmed a certain way. Mm-hmm. And if anyone disrupts any of that, you're getting the way of people's dinner, you know, and yeah. people's meal ticket. Yeah. And a lot of pastors in America are getting an easy ride because there's no accountability for how right. these churches. Yeah. So it's just, it's more like a one man show 
And if you get in the way of that show with your with your darn critical thinking, <laughs> you know, right. like people are, you're messing with someone's money at the end of the day. And as we know, the love of money is the root to all evil. So yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing. I feel like sometimes people don't realize. And I think you just laid it out perfectly. But at the end of the day, a lot of churches they're a business, you know. They're a business and people are there. They do have to make money and a salary to take care of their family. But it's also how, I mean, I think it's honestly no different. You can view it as like you pay a therapist to, you know, help you through whatever problems. If you're giving money to the church, it's because you're asking for that pastor to be your spiritual leader. You know, you can think of it in that way, but it's the abuse of that power where it becomes a problem. Right. And it seems to be that it's happening everywhere. This yeah. of, and um, I read I read a cartoon the other day about about evangelical church and about the evangelical church that said, um, you know, we we just do spiritual and emotional abuse here, and we try to avoid sexual and physical abuse. Oh my god! So that's pretty much what it is, right? Like, right. you know, you get to a point where you're like, especially if you are a church girl like I was, like, and you're always in church. You went to Bible school and seminary. It was like an everyday thing. Yeah, yeah like you did it all. Your parents are ministry. You know, yeah. like you've done it for so long, it becomes so part of who you are. And you are, you, you really are programmed in a certain, to, to think in a certain way. And what I've realized is that a lot of the American church has been programmed through politics and not through Jesus. And so therefore you can find scriptures to back up any of your politics. Yeah, Literally, yeah. you could do that. But can you find, you know, things Jesus said to back up your politics? It's a lot harder you know, and if it is political, it's usually things like lay down your weapons, you know, rather than yeah, take your right. You and know, that's what I've always found so interesting is that the Republican Party specifically has tethered themselves to a faith that in everything I've read and been a part of, it just seems the opposite of what their actual beliefs are. And I'm just curious from your vantage point is why do you think that has happened? Because I honestly cannot figure out how those two things go together, to be honest. Right. You know what? It, it's been a long time coming. I think it started um, back in the seventies, I believe. And, and so it, the evangelical movement kind of was born out of um, the Jesus movement, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which started as, you know, your, your young people that were excited about Jesus and, yeah. Um, and that my parents were part of that. A lot of our parents were part of that. But over time, evangelical church slowly was got into politics. And they their thinking was, you know, if we get Christianity into politics, maybe we can bring prayer back to school and, and abortion and um, things like that. Like um, things that were you know, I think started as, you know, a positive thing in their minds, at least, um, you know, where they really, truly wanted to use their faith to, um, you know, push people towards stronger Christian beliefs. Yeah. Um, but what they didn't, I think what people, what they failed to account for is that a people are people. So the more power the church got, the less they look like Jesus. Mm. And I think that Donald Trump was just like our 
you know, like it was, he was the person that came along so that um, we could see where all this has ended up. And so even if it started off as a uh, positive endeavor to try to bring more faith into politics, it has ended as them coming together. Let's see, uh, I think it's like 70 something white evangelicals voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of them are, are, they're not terrible people. You know, some of them are really, truly love God, mm-hmm. but they've been following the James Dobsons of the world, the Pat Robertsons of the world for 30 years, yeah. you know? Yeah. So even my mom voted for Trump, which was like, you know, that was like a year of us fighting, you know? Yeah, like we, of course. And, and I think she, I think she's finally understanding how she was, kind of manipulated into mm-hmm. thinking this was a good idea. Right, right. But I think, um, yeah, I think just over the last 30, 40 years, it, it, it started off as we want some political power so that Christians can, you know, remain. And, and now it's all about, like, trying to force people to be Christian yeah. and, and rejecting everyone that is not, not only not Christian, but not the kind of Christian that um, evangelical spaces think you should be. Absolutely. And I I always find that so interesting because we talk about the separation of church and state, but it's really that the church doesn't want the government to dictate anything that they do, but it's fine for the church to infiltrate government and influence their policies and influence any decisions that they make. That's why I say that we should talk to the mega churches. (laughs) I completely agree with that. It's, it's wild. The amount of income (laughs) that goes into churches and I'm still surprised that they're not taxed, but I, I'm fully for that. Completely yeah, agree. It's, it's a weird loophole for sure. Because it's either like the whole point was that you're supposed to stay out of politics to be able to get nonprofit tax money. And that hasn't worked, yeah. obviously. So yeah. just tax them. I know. <laughs> really, it is actually that simple. Um, so, I mean, how much, because, you know, we've seen the evangelical movement and people kind of infiltrate politics a little bit, but as American culture as a whole, how much of an influence do you think that they have on this country, the evangelicals? A lot. I think it's a how, I, and that's almost what's so annoying about the movement now, because it's all about, like, um, grievances and you know, cancel call. They're trying to cancel us and all that. Which the church is the number one people that cancel people. (laughs) Like the evangelical church I've noticed. They taught us how to, they taught us cancel culture. Right. You know, let's be real. They taught us. So yeah, I think it's annoying because it's like, it's like a lion walking around saying, I'm just a little mouse and nobody Mm. likes me anymore. And, (laughs) you know, I don't, you know, whatever. Like it, it, it's like you don't, they don't know their power and their privilege because if they did, they would walk in humility and grace, but they don't, that they, they, they might be big, but they, they feel small and threatened on the inside. In your past interactions just with conservative Christians, because I know that we've all had, you know, conversations with them and just trying to understand where they're coming from. Were there common themes or views that they all kind of were aligned on? But because 
let, let me let me say this. I will say that I feel like for the lot of the people that I knew that voted for Trump that were conservative Christians, they were basically one issue voters and didn't really look at the scope of things. So I'm just curious in your interactions if it felt that there was just common themes as to why they felt the way that they yeah. did or why they put their support behind him. Yeah, um, abortion is a huge one. It's a huge one. And that's because they've been told for 30, 40 years that abortion is murder. Right. Murder, not just murder, but murder of innocent babies. Yeah, that don't have so, a voice. Yeah. You know, you would kind of be, to, to speak from their perspective, is you would kind of be an awful person if you believed that abortion was murder and mm-hmm. you didn't fight out against it. Right. From their perspective. So I think that that's one thing. But to be honest with you, I think it all boils, most of it boils down to money for Mm. most people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like Bill Clinton said, it's the economy, stupid. You know, like, (laughs) at the end of the day, Republicans, Democrats, whoever you are, it's all about resources and money. And how how is this person going to benefit my life materially? Which is another actual big problem in the church because... You know, there there is this extreme love for money and and self, which is very the, the opposite of Jesus because we're supposed to be selfless. Exactly, it's, it it really is. It's weird how it's so many things are opposite of Christ now that yeah. started off with a passion for Christ. But that just goes to show you how how time changes things. Yeah, you know, and what was right back then might not be right now anymore yeah. and we have to change yeah. and progress and process through things. Yeah. And it's not even just time. It's how people have changed it. I really think True. that the, the religion as a whole has been, it's, we're talking about deconstruction, but it's been constructed to serve people in the way that they see fit and not what actually Jesus talked about, which is so unfortunate because if you really look at the core of everything that Jesus talked about, it's actually pretty simple of just loving people and treating them with respect and advocating yeah. for them. It all boils down to loving others as you would like to be loved. And that's truly the crux of Christian theology. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can't get that right, then <laughs> you're doing it wrong. I've had this conversation before, and I've always wondered if Jesus would be surprised at the amount of followers that he has if he were alive today. Have you ever thought about that? I've not, but honestly, that is an interesting thought. <laughs> It's crazy because one, he doesn't even know that he has a whole religion devoted to him. If you think about it, you know? And so if he were alive today, I think he'd be like, whoa, (laughs) like I didn't expect millions of people to be following. You know, he was just trying to tell people to, you know, the path, this is the path to God and love others. It was so simple. So I, I always thought it would be interesting just if he were alive today, how surprised he would be. I know that is a really interesting thought because we've been taught so much of like that Jesus is God. And there's a lot of people now that are realizing that, you know, that a lot of the scriptures don't even say that he claimed that, Yeah, you know, so it, we, we always thought that he would know everything. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe he wouldn't, you know, maybe he, he was more human than we realized. Yeah. Is that what your understanding has come to in like your research and getting your master's? I I feel like that, um, like you said, like Jesus came to show us the way, 
you know, and, um, you know, I, I still lean towards Jesus being God and the son of God, but I also believe that we're all divine. We all have like what I call divine DNA, yeah. you know, like yeah. where we, um, no matter who you are, if you came to this earth and you give in to your mission to God, you know, we're all called God, our father, you know, yeah. and I think yeah. it's confusing to know, like, did, did the Roman church make Jesus into a God that he didn't want to be or never said he was? Um, so I don't know for sure, to be honest, but I, I, I believe that when he says that he is the way to the father, it's like kind of reiterating what you just said, that it's his ways that are the way to the father yeah, and how he chooses to, to live his life and treat God others, is, you know, whether or not God is actually a father being, or if God is just the entire universe mm-hmm. and you know, like God is in you, God is in me, God is in the trees, God is in the oceans, God is in the cosmos. I lean towards that kind of God more than a being just one being like sitting up in the clouds, like, you know, being like a patriarchal father type figure. Yeah. But I did, but I don't disrespect that because Jesus was bringing, like Jesus was trying to show people back in the day in a patriarchal culture, what kind of God he serves and knows. Yeah. And it was a God of love. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the God that we expected from the old Testament from human interpretation mm-hmm. of God. Right. You know, we, we thought God was this God of war. Yeah. Yeah. That was humans. Yeah. And they were interpreting things a certain way, you know? So I, 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 my mind has expanded a lot on these matters, but I also, it's also like, who knows? You know, like, like, like why like offend people that are still, you know, back there where I was, until I actually have some real experience or knowledge or to say these things, you know, mm-hmm. like, cause I just, it's, it's very difficult to wrap your mind around a God. That's not a being, mm-hmm. but just a force. Right. Right. Our world. Yeah. That's where, that's kind of where, and that Jesus came to show us the way to that God, which yeah. is, love and the way to have the way to bring heaven to earth yeah through love and not just love of 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 each other like brothers and sisters but love of our enemies because that's you know like you said he said there what is it going to do to love your allies you know like and and i i compared this the other day for my mom um with palestine and israel so it's like okay so we we've often seen israel as our allies What's it doing for to bring peace? Mm. Nothing, you know. Mm. In fact, it's gotten worse. So the only way to bring peace is through loving your enemies, people you, even if you don't believe them to be your enemies, you know, people that we are taught are our enemies our whole lives. You mm. know, and the only way to bring so even if even if someone were to say I'm an ally with Israel. Okay, well, Jesus told you to love your enemies. Mm. So how are you loving Palestine? Yeah. And what good is it going to do to love Israel if yeah. you've always loved Israel? <laughs> right. 
Absolutely. You know what I'm I, oh, that, yeah, I do. And I love the way you've worded that. I do. I really, sure. really do. And I, I, I saw a tweet that you had recently also. I think it was you that you said war is the result of people that don't have an imagination. Yeah. I yeah. think that's, I love that you said that because it's so true. It's like, well, uh, I guess we don't have any other option. It's like, there are plenty of options. <laughs> yeah, talk about it. Right. <laughs> Right. And so I, I, I joked with my husband about this before. I was like, I feel like people say that they want world peace, but like nobody's actually trying to have it. You know, no, you're not no, having the conversation. It's hard. Yeah. Love your enemies. It and is. that's what it boils down to. It's it is. hard. And it's hard. And it's not just enemies. It's also just getting out of your comfort zone and, you know, talking to people that are different than ourselves. And, um, you know, and that, that is just, People are really polarized right now and they're living yeah. in their chambers and, you know, we have to, we have to get out of that somehow. Yes. Yes. And have these conversations that you and I are having right now. You know, as a woman pastor, how have you kind of broken down these barriers of patriarchal conditioning? Oh gosh. It's, it's, <laughs> you're like, it's still a process. <laughs> it's still a long process. Um, it's, it's just been constant self-reflection, learning new perspectives. Um, and that's through secular and Christian perspectives. Um, just kind of stopping everything, you know, being like, you know, and that's a very privileged thing. And I'll admit that, you know, cause I, my husband has a decent enough job where I was able to stop everything and just say, okay, like, I'd rather like, you know, just not go travel and not have extra money to do things, you know, lots of things and just stop, stop, stop. Cause I was just kept going and getting hurt again in the same hard space over and over and over. And that's how I know it's the system because I've been all around the United States um, with with, with the church, church type things. And I've worked for a lot of different church situations or ministries. And it always kind of boiled down to um, my, a lot of men, particularly white men, they couldn't handle my strong personality, my, um, the fact that I'm going to say whatever I need to say. And the fact that I always stand up for justice, um, I was constantly not, I, I think throughout my whole life, I've had one job or a Christian job and all my jobs have been Christian jobs. And I've had one Christian job where it was like, I felt free to be the butterfly that I am and to grow and, 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 and I felt cared about, but most of my jobs have been, they, 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 they like my fire. They like my, they like my intelligence. They like my, um, I don't know what they like, but they like something about me and they hire me. Yeah. This happens a lot of times. <laughs> they hire me, but then they realize I am not controllable in the way they want. And it's not that I'm not like, it's not that I'm not like, um, like I'm easygoing most of the time. It's just that if there's something that I feel is wrong or, you know, whatever, you know, there's something that's wrong or whatever. I just don't hold back what I think and I don't conform. And, and, and it's not, and I also have ADHD. 
which makes me special needs. And sometimes I think I can't conform, like even if I wanted to. And so um, I just, I got to a point where I just got kept getting hurt in the exact same heart space. And then they'd fire me, they'd hire me, act like I was the best thing ever, fire me, and then ghost me. Scared of me, like so unprofessional. Like, you know, at one point I was, I, I got fired we're calling the Holy Spirit she from a adjunct theology position. Meanwhile, the books they sent me said the Holy Spirit was she in the book they sent me to read to the class. So I was like, what the heck? And and they so it's things like that where it's like they know that it's gonna impact their bottom line somehow to keep me on board. But they also know that I'm right in the situation and so they don't have the courage to take responsibility and say the truth to me you know and so I've had that experience over and over again and I finally got to a point a few years ago where I was like I'm just done like I'm done I'm not going to keep applying for the same basically the same person even though they're different bodies different ministries same situation kept happening over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I just finally got to the point where I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, I need to walk away. And that's what I've been focusing on is healing. Good. But- Good. Well, let's talk about your book because I am obsessed with the title because it's exactly what you're doing. You are breaking through the glass steeple. So let's talk a little bit about it when we can expect it. And what are some things that you want people to take away once they read it? Sure. Well, I've been working on this book for way too long, Um, (laughs) but I don't think it's because of laziness or distraction. I think it's just because it's taken me this long to really heal enough to let it go, you know, cause I don't want to just, I never wanted to be a person that just releases a book of fluff and what I think I want to em- learn to embody, you know, what I think and what I feel and not spiritual, like spiritual bypassing is what I call it. And I, which I tried to do for many years, you know, where I was trying to, cause that's the way you're taught, you know, you got to get, you got to climb that ladder. You got to go, go, go. You know, so um, I've got to a point where I was like, okay, this book is real. Like, this is my story. This is my life. This is my testimony, basically, and how I have gotten through um, all the things we've just talked about as a woman minister um, and how I have healed and how I have um, come to see the Bible and come to see God. And, um, but I'm really, I'm really focusing on women in ministry um, or have, have ever felt any sense to Christian ministry, but have had a lot of inward and outward roadblocks along the way. Um, and main, one of those main things is patriarchy, of course. Um, and how that also, um, how that impacted my health. Um, and which is coming a bigger conversation now where women especially are starting to come out and say how purity culture led to sickness, you know, because you're, you're so stressed out and striving all the time to be, you know, basically perfect. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, that it leads to um, chronic pain and headaches and migraines and addiction issues and mental health issues. 
and all kinds of issues. And so I talk about my issues throughout my life, which has been started with ADHD, went to chronic migraines, went to um, pills, then I got addicted to the pills and just, but you can kind of see how it all connects. How you can, you know, you, yeah. the more you are um, in a system that's harmful, and especially because I mean, our beliefs right. shape everything in our wow. lives. And so it's really about transforming our minds to come to a place of extreme self-love and self-acceptance, even in our brokenness, even in our flaws, you know, and that we are beloved just as we are. And I feel like if, as soon as we can release that shame, those chains of religion and shame and fear and all that programming, that's when we can get out of this trap that we've been living in and, and hashtag break the glass steeple. Yes, I love that. So before we wrap up, for people that are trying to heal from church hurt, what would you recommend as the first step to just try to just heal all of that pain? Yeah, um, honestly, uh, if you can, stop, stop, especially stop going back into the same atmospheres that hurt you, because you have to keep telling yourself this, it's the system, you know, and and we know that the the systems in America are falling down all around us, Mm -hmm. not just the church. Right. So we're reaching a pinnacle place and, and not just even in America. I mean, this is like a global thing where humans are challenging bad, corrupt, harmful systems. Mm-hmm. So if you're a person that has continuously been hurt by a certain system, for God's sakes, stop going back <laughs> into that system. Yeah. You know, if you have to quit your ministry job and get a job at Starbucks, it would be better to do that, which I've done, by the way. It'd be better to do that than to continue to go into the same system that's going to hurt you again and again and again. So I'd say try to switch, try to switch your atmosphere. Um, and sometimes that means letting go of certain people too, certain friends that, you know, anything that's shaming, you know, that brings shame or fear or guilt, you know, just get rid of it because mm-hmm. that's the stuff. And then I also, um, like on a therapeutic note, I, I studied a lot about codependency during these last several years, um, which I've seen a lot in my own marriage. And I think a lot of people are seeing that in their own marriages, especially yeah. if you grew up in a patriarchal, extreme patriarchal system. So I would say learn everything there is to learn on codependency and narcissism and see how that fits into your experience with church and the people you've known and even your own parents, because we might, and even in yourself, yeah, you know, like I've had to correct some things in myself that are like kind of narcissistic, you know, and I'm like, it's embarrassing to to think about that. But the only way you're going to change is if you accept yourself and say, the reason I in this way is because it's the way I've been taught and I'm not a narcissist because I want to change <laughs> So anything that's like, you know, cause that's where we see most of the abuse is, is, is narcissistic abuse, which is your gaslighting, your spiritual abuse, your emotional abuse, you know, all that. 
to learn everything about codependency and narcissism and um, break that down as much as you can. And I also tell people, if you struggle with depression, anxiety, see a doctor. Don't be afraid to get on medications. It's not going to, I'm a very creative person. I take antidepressants. It has not impacted my creativity at all. All it does <laughs> yeah. make me a little bit more balanced. Yeah. And if you can do therapy, do therapy. Um, and, you know, I think just talk, also following people who are also deconstructing has been so helpful because you, you feel so alone and it's really painful. And know that when you leave your church system, it's, it's like grieving your own death. Because you're not only leaving a church system, you're leaving a part of who you became behind because you had to survive in that system. And you had to become who you needed to be, even if that wasn't actually who you were. So forgive yourself for that and, and work on becoming your most authentic self because your real power is in your authenticity, in my opinion. So that's what I would do. I love it. Jory, you are absolutely just a beautiful person inside and out. And I appreciate you being on this show. Can you let everybody know where they can follow you and where they can keep up with you when your book is released? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I am on, uh, I'm at jorymica.com. Um, and I'm on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. And I have a few videos on YouTube that you can check out if you want. They're older, but I hope to get it published by this fall, early this fall. Wonderful. And it, again, it's called Breaking the Glass Steeple, um, a, women, well, a woman minister's guide to flipping tables and finding liberation. I love it. I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much again for being on the show. And to the listeners, make sure you follow Jory and subscribe to We Need to Talk. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye.